Welcome back to the Sound Logic Podcast. We're continuing our journey through the new 2020 Rolling Stone list of the greatest albums of all time. And we find ourselves here at number 12. What do we got today? Bobby McFerrin? Uh, yeah, it's me, Bobby McFerrin. No, um, <laughs> the king of pop. Oh, the king of pop is where we are. Michael Jackson's Thriller, nineteen eighty-two, right. came mm-hmm. out uh, between our births. Is that correct? I think that's right. In the uh, in the three month window between when you and I were born, Michael Jackson's Thriller was released. <laughs> Yeah, and so, changed the world forever in ways that neither of us has quite oh yet. Oh man, like just, just uh, one heck of a three-month stretch there. Yeah, <laughs> we had a lot of fun with this review. This uh, remains, yeah. and hopefully remains so forever. But the only time a guest of ours has ever been pulled over while recording for the Sound Logic <laughs> podcast, um, we should send our apologies again to Ronnie for having to go through that. Um, but but yeah, really uh, a fun episode to, to go through. And I think an album that uh, definitely is worthy of being on this list. And I'm actually a little surprised that it's only at 12. Yeah, I, I kind of thought it'd be in, in the top 10 if they ever did a re-rank. And um, uh, yeah. It, it really, I, I listened to it again recently and just the idea of what pop music was mm-hmm. um you know it just drastically changed what was happening in the late 70s yeah. moving into the 80s uh, the the way the songs are written the instrumentation the technology um it's it, it's just staggering and the hits that are on it i'm i mean i guess over the years i've been more familiar with michael jackson than prince so i'm surprised that that this album doesn't jump ahead of Prince's Purple Rain on yeah. this list, but I, I, I don't really want to debate that. I don't really have a problem with it. I'm just a little surprised by it. Um, yeah. th- this is such, such a heavy hitter. Uh, when we reviewed it last time and then went through doing our top 10, eventually I dropped it off my all-time top 10 because I grew a little tired of it. And I think the reason was, again, and we've talked about this many times, it's just not a genre that is one of my favorite to listen to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but outside of that, it's absolutely tremendous. There were, what, five singles? Five or six singles? And I think, uh, of the nine songs, <laughs> and I think that just about every one could be a single. Um, they're very good. It's For nine songs, it's 42 minutes long. It's funny, we just talked about the Beatles' Revolver last time, which was 14 songs at 35 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> so these, you know, <laughs> these are the, these are like radio, radio, they're all radio length, like yep. four minutes, you know, right around four minutes, just maybe none over five. Well, Thriller, but that's, Thriller's kind of in a realm all its own. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hey, Thriller is a song. Yeah, and we just passed uh, Halloween here not too long ago, 
and you know as you've mentioned a few times ben it 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 comes back on the singles charts (laughs) every year because people want to listen to it at halloween yeah yeah it's i wonder you know the kind of people they had on the rolling stone list i think have an element of um too cool for music i think sometimes and i wonder if uh uh this album in particular is one that actually gets bumped down a notch because of how popular it is. Like everyone knows that MJ's great, so we don't need <laughs> to put it in the top ten. Like, um, you know, uh, an album that I think about th- th- that sort of dynamic applies to is the Velvet Underground uh, and Nico. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, you've never heard of this? Oh, then you're not a true music person, right? right? Yeah. So, and yeah, and snobbery. everyone has heard of Michael Jackson's Thriller, and so I, you know that. You know, maybe I'm reaching there, but I wonder if that might be a reason why it's here at 12. It has moved up, um, but uh, but not. It didn't crack that top 10 with uh, yeah. some of these others. I I feel like it's one that should be top 10. It's just yeah. that kind of iconic music. Um, again, one of the best-selling albums ever. Uh-huh. Uh, and we've seen some of those like rumors. Um, jump up, you know, way, yeah. way up into the top ten. So, yeah, but um, a good one for sure. Yeah. Nevertheless, it'll be fun to revisit this episode. Uh, it's not uh, as old as uh, the, you know, the last one that we did, Revolver, which was one of our very first episodes. Yes. This one's a little bit more recent, but uh, still maybe one that you've never listened to. And so we hope you hang around and listen to this review of Michael Jackson's thriller. And next week, we hope you'll join us again. When we review for the first time, Aretha Franklin's I Never Loved a Man the Way I Love You. That should be interesting. It'll be great. Please stick around. Listen to our previous review of Thriller coming up right after this. Former guest Colin. This is Ronnie Barrage. This has been awesome doing SoundLogic's podcast, working with Mike and Ben about music introducing them to other perspectives being a musician and an artist this is just amazing thank you for the opportunity hope this isn't too late welcome back everyone just a couple of quick notes before we get started here we were really excited to have our friend Ronnie Barrage, uh, a lifelong uh, jazz musician and music virtuoso be with us for this recording Unfortunately, Ronnie had something major come up in his life, and uh, the best time that worked for him to record was while he was driving his car from his home in New York City to uh, Virginia to see his sister. So the recording quality is a little bit different than our typical episodes, uh, but Ronnie's voice especially has a lot of great things to say. So we hope that you will um, listen despite some subpar audio at times. And we hope that you get the general spirit. Um, We're really thrilled to do this one, and we hope you like it. I'm Ben, and you're listening to the Sound Logic Podcast. This is Mike. Each episode, we discuss one of music's greatest albums from Rolling Stone Magazine's Top 500 list. Brought to you by two guys with no credentials. Welcome back, everyone, and thanks for finding the Sound Logic Podcast once again. And today, we are discussing album number 20 on Rolling Stone Magazine's Top 500 Greatest Albums of All Time list. This album is Thriller by Michael Jackson.
We're really excited to have uh, my friend Ronnie Barrage joining us today to discuss this important uh, piece of musical history. Um, Ronnie and I met uh, a couple years ago, I guess. We just happened to be um, introduced by mutual friends uh, because they knew that we both were concerned about injustice and, and the justice issues in our town. Ronnie was working as a professor at uh, Penn State University, and I was uh, just getting myself going with my work with Third Way Collective. And Ronnie had this brilliant idea to do um, a social justice-minded concert in our town, doing both music and spoken word and a bunch of other stuff. And uh, and somehow we found each other, and, and the very first event was called Java Jam, it was held at uh, a yeah. local a local coffee shop in town. Um, I've been doing this work here for five years now. That still stands out as like one of the coolest collaborative events that we've done. Just a, an incredible night of music, poetry, lots of interaction between the campus and community. You know, a lot of the stuff we do here in State College is one or the other. It takes a, a unique kind of event for the campus and the community to come together. And... Um, it was fantastic, and so sort of since then, I guess we've kind of been half paying attention to where our lives have taken each other, and um, and so yeah, it's, it's great to have Ronnie here with us tonight. I know you, Ronnie, just to be a person who cares deeply about the injustice in the world, especially around racial justice, and, um, and I know that you have used your incredible God-given talents as a musician to speak into the injustice in the world, and I think you're going to be an important guest here uh, for this episode and, and maybe for some others to come in the future. If people ask you, uh, who is Ronnie Barrage, how do you introduce yourself today? I know you've got a, a long resume of, of things that you've done, things you've accomplished, uh, places you've played, people you've played with. Um, tell everyone a little bit about who you are. Okay, well, like, I guess I would start by saying, yes, I'm a... I'm a musician, a composer, producer, professor. Um, actually, Ben, we we met. Um, that Java Jam was was you know co-produced with my wife Shonda because it was her actual idea to call it Java Jam. Okay. I had another title for it. <laughs> but we both are heavily invested in changing the world through the arts and sciences and um, bringing people to understand our commonalities more so than our differences. And yes, you know, we, use, we do a lot of um, musical events because music seems to be, you know, common denominator. It breaks down walls with everybody. It can open up discussion. It can make people feel good. It's thought-provoking, you know. And, um, you know, you couple that with literature and poetry and, and songs and other things like that, you can, you can, you can cover a lot of distance. Absolutely. Um, I think we were also brought together with, um, you know, the State College um, Campus and Community uh, Group, which actually, I gave it the name. <laughs> we we talked to Pastor Lack, Shonda and I, because some things had been happening that weren't being addressed in the community, and yeah. then there were other things happening in State College. So we really pushed Pastor uh, McKenzie to start calling on some leaders and come together and... I think, I'm not sure if you were at one of the meetings at Unity, but we were there and trying to figure out a name for this wonderful group that still exists. And um, Charles Dumont, everybody was there, and I think I came up, well, let's call it Campus and Community Unity. And so I think that was the name of stuff. So I'm proud. 
It's still going strong. Yeah. yeah, I'm proud that we we are very proud that we were part of that and were able to, um, you know, uh, uh, get that thing started off. So, um, but other than that, yeah, I'm a, I, I'm heavily invested in in um, you know making the world better for people that don't have as many privileges. We moved uh, from State College back to Brooklyn. I've, I've spent most of my life in New York, uh, so. We have a nonprofit called World Rhythm Academy where we bring the music and the sciences together and uh, work with youth and elders and try to bridge their gaps. Um, and yeah, so we got a lot of a lot of work on our plate, but it's all it's really good. Well, I think one of my favorite things about you is that you're a bridge builder. You seem to just know everyone and uh, and make sure you you get connected wherever you're living. And you've got such an incredible background in terms of all the different places you've lived and the projects you've been a part of. I think the world needs more bridge builders like you. And um, yeah, it's an honor to know you. So thanks for thanks for being here uh, with thank us. Thank you. You too, Ben. Um, yeah, man. Thank you. You bet. Well, why don't we dive right in? Tonight we're talking about um, Michael Jackson's Thriller. And uh, just FYI, Ronnie... Mike and I are just a little bit younger than you. We were born in 1982 when Thriller came out, so um, <laughs> we don't we don't yeah. remember what it was like when this album came out. Uh, do you got any insight into like this album that sold you know 60 million plus copies? Uh, what was it like to be living in the time when it came out? Absolutely. Well, actually, during that time, it was so much music going on, um, and that record made us. A deep impact because, you know, Michael Jackson, everybody looked to Michael as one of the leaders of, you know, creative pop, not just pop, but he was, um, you know, and, and, and there were some special techniques when, when they did that video and everything like that. Yeah. And, uh, so, you know, everybody was looking to him, uh, to, um, you know, do some different things and he absolutely did. And to bring in like Vincent Price, like, Vincent Price was one of my all-time favorite scary heroes growing up. <laughs> you know, with my uncles, we grew up looking at all of those those old classic uh, Edgar Allan Poe movies, House of the Father, the Usher, and all of this kind of stuff, that Vincent Price was this, um, this, 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 you know, mad, wicked person in all of these uh, movies. So it was just for me, it was just like, oh, man, that's really cool. He's got Vincent Price. He's authentic, you know. Yeah. So it just made the whole thing happen. And during that time, you know, there was a lot of films, a lot of uh, uh, sci-fi films and, 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 and uh, actually thrillers. And so Michael was just, the what he did with the music and all of that stuff was just, it was just incredible. Um, everybody was really hyped about the, the record. I don't know anybody that doesn't like that record, you know, because... <laughs> He, he, I mean, he had so many hits on it, and the music was incredible. And also, I, I believe that's early on when um, Greg Fillingane started working with him, too. He's a keyboard player. I think that's the, one of the records that he just started working with, Michael. Okay. Greg Fillingane is, is an incredible keyboard player. I actually, back during that time, had played some shows with him with various people. I think like Al Jarreau or, or Diane Reeves. Hmm. Um, so it was, um, and the other, and the other thing about that record that was so very interesting is that I knew it was going to happen 
because the girl on that record, Ola Ray, is my cousin. <laughs> no way. And, Whoa. Yeah, and she called me. She was like, I'm going to read it like a doctor's video. She called the whole family, you know, California. <laughs> that was for the thriller video? That's the one she's in? The girl that's like his girlfriend in there? Yeah, yeah. Come on. No way. It's totally a movie. It's not funny. You were scared, weren't you? Wasn't that scared? Yeah. You were scared. Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> amazing. <laughs> On the phone. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh man. There's a there's a comment I think like in the Wikipedia page for that video that says um, MTV was playing it twice every hour to keep up with the demand like people were calling non-stop because they wanted to see it so it's amazing to me to think about a time where they can you know the video is like 15 minutes long so half an right. hour out of every hour is dedicated to this single video uh that just played yeah. non-stop around the clock and that's your cousin yeah amazing yeah that's like the whole book she actually um She's actually partially responsible for its um, resurgence because they, I think they redid it digitally or something like that. I know a couple of years ago she called me saying she was flying to Germany or something to to do, give some rights for that wow. uh, for that big deal or something like that. Yes, yeah. amazing. So let, help us out with some context here. Michael Jackson was already a massive star, right? Like, um, you know, he grew up as a star with the Jackson Five. He'd had a couple of really solid albums before Thriller came out. But does Thriller like launch him into a whole other stat status of superstardom? I think what Thriller did was the the the, um, the videos that were involved. Yeah, it kind of pushed him over into that superstardom thing. I mean, he was already a superstar. He's, he was a superstar as a kid. But something about the, um, you know, technology, too, was changing yeah. back then in terms of everything becoming more visual. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think he was in the forefront of all of that stuff. And um, that, that record absolutely uh, pushed him over. And the way, and just the way it was kind of put together, you know, with Quincy Jones and... and um, uh, you know, like I said, pulling in Vincent Price and all of that stuff, you know, it's just really, uh, it was really well crafted. Absolutely. I think that pushed him up there too. Yeah. Not to mention that it's just, I mean, the choreograph, the dancing of all of them is like zombies and all of that stuff coming up out the grave or whatever. That's like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was at a time when that was like just really. It was a thrill for people to watch. You yeah, know? Mike, do you have any memories of uh, a time before this music? I I was struggling to think about any kind of preconceived notion that I have because it's just been no. in the background our whole lives, right? Like, there's never been a time. I guess there were there were two months before Thriller came out after I was born, but it came out one month before you were born. So, um, you know, it's been woven into the background. Uh, as long as we can remember I don't have any memories of like hearing this stuff for the first time I think it was just you know grew up with it I'm sure Michael Jackson was on Sesame Street when we were watching 
Um, yeah. You know, from a very young age, uh, it was just part of Americana, part of, even though we grew up in Canada, it was part of our media consumption and, and life in general. Well, I, I am either blessed or cursed with having the initials MJ. Oh, yeah. Uh, and there are a lot of famous MJs, Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, uh, it goes on and on. So people have always joked them that, that I'm MJ, and of course Michael is the MJ. So uh, I've always kind of known, even as a young boy, who Michael was, because people called me MJ. And I don't remember, it. I mean, I've learned more and more about the songs from this album through the years and hearing them more, but... I don't remember not knowing like Billie Jean or Beat It. Right. Um, right, right. You know, it's, it's always yeah. just been there because it's just on the radio or it's all the time. Um, one of my really funny memories, and I, I hope this doesn't offend you, Ronnie, but, um, you know, we're a couple, Ben and I are a couple like silly white kids from Canada. And one, <laughs> one thing, one guy that we were really into in the 90s when comedy was kind of silly, we were really, really into Weird Al Yankovic. And oh, he did yeah. he did a co- he did a cover of Beat It, um, yeah. called Eat It, and, which was you know silly silly and hilarious, but I was like right into that stuff. So everybody got a big kick out of Weird Al Yankovic. He used to do covers all of them too. Oh yeah, yeah. Just twist them all up. They were hilarious. So I probably heard Eat It not too long after <laughs> I heard Beat It. <laughs> uh, so um, you know that's kind of my but but I'm like you Ben. I don't remember this music not being around. Well, do you want to get into some album details, Mike? Details, 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 details. We'll go through some details, and if either one of you guys, like Ronnie, if you want to jump in, you know, cut me off and jump in and add something in, uh, when I say something, you know, just go right ahead, but I'll just start us off and we'll see what happens. Um, So this album was released... uh, Late in 1982, November 30th, and this was Michael's sixth studio album. Uh, solo, I say, I mean, st- solo studio album. This, this is his sixth one. His first was in 1972. Um, and he wrote he wrote all the songs, but he had some people help, helping him as well. And also, um, uh, one person was Quincy Jones, who was also involved on the record. Uh, yeah. This album charted, it went to number one in many countries. It spent 37 weeks at number one on the Billboard. Um, And the re-release of Thriller, uh, Thriller 25, also went up to number 16 in 2009, 25 years later. Wow. Uh, Yeah. It's just just tremendous. Uh, This is, this album has the title of being the best-selling album of all time. It sold over 66 million copies worldwide. Um, On this list, this Rolling Stone list, I think the next closest one is the number one album, which was um, Sgt. Pepper's by the Beatles, and that has sold close to 20 million. This is three times more than that, (laughs) which is saying something. There's, There's some more historical notes Ben do you want to go through some of those sure I think I think you know we've already talked about just the magnitude of this album but some of these notes really just double down on that the album won uh, a record breaking eight Grammy Awards in 1984 including album of the year Um, so it wasn't just you know best selling pop that that the critics didn't really like 
it was also uh, it got the accolades as well. Um, there's a note on the Wikipedia page that says in the early 80s, uh, right after it came out, it was selling a million copies each week uh, globally, just like <laughs> prolifically sold. And um, and I think I read somewhere else that even even today, um, this album still sells more than 100,000 copies annually. It's still just being um, consumed, purchased, and listened to by... Uh, by people who love music and it, it's held up in in time um the thriller track uh that ronnie's cousin uh, starred in the video um <laughs> which still kind of blows my mind it, it keeps recharting as well um it, every halloween it becomes a song that people want to listen to want to download and want to buy and so it will periodically show back up on the billboard charts um you know, even though we're we're talking about like pushing forty years after the fact, it still uh, is a chart uh, a charting song every fall. Um, Ronnie mentioned the the uh, artistic contributions of making that thriller video, but uh, we probably need to be also noting that some significant artists joined the musical production as well. Paul McCartney's featured on a song, um, and I think. <laughs> Just a side note here, Paul McCartney is the guy who has the most appearances on the Rolling Stone Top 500 Albums list um, yes. because he's got he's got t- something like 10 Beatles albums plus a, uh, a solo album plus an album with Wings. And if we include Thriller right. as having one more track, he's got you know a thirteenth album on <laughs> on the top five hundred list, uh, which is just bonkers. Um, Eddie Van Halen plays guitar on the album on a track, and uh, members of the yeah, band. He does the, the solo. He does the crazy solo and beat it, which is which That's is just right. such a random, weird, wonderful '80s thing, I guess, to have Van Halen play <laughs> on a pop song like that. Um, and members of the band Toto, who uh, have had a bit of a resurgence lately with uh, all kinds of different groups covering Africa, um, they were uh, musicians throughout the album, um, That's called, right. called yeah. in from time to time. Bronnie, you probably That's know all right. of them by name, too. Yeah, I know most of those guys. Hey, um, <laughs> I was wondering, um, you, you guys want me to try to get my cousin? She'd probably be thrilled to say a couple of things. On this thing. Oh man. Sure. sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let me try to come up and see if um I you know we gotta get her Skype name or whatever and see where she is. She's always stuck, but let me sure. try right quick. Oh, that'd be cool. Okay, so I left a message. She gives she call me back if she can. If not, she's somewhere in the world doing something. <laughs> Okay, well, that'd be that'd be really funny if she was able oh, to join wow. us, and if she, yeah. uh, if if she'd want to like connect with us later on, we could we could interview her separately too. If, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. sure she would. She's really cool. That's awesome. She like you know she, she likes all that stuff. This album absolutely prolific. Uh, I think one of the most interesting pieces of this that there's only nine tracks, but seven of them were singles. So all but two Bye. songs get uh, very serious airplay. And uh, maybe when we get to the track list, we'll talk about some controversy around how they were re- released um, and how they hit the 
the uh, the market. Um, something we try and do every episode is talk about the album art. And uh, Mike, do you want to give a crack at describing what this beautiful <laughs> album cover looks like? Yeah, and I'm starting to say, you know, the best thing for you to do if you're listening is to, you know, you got to Google it uh, to, to, to see, you know, what I'm describing. But this is, uh, it's a black background and the foreground is Michael. You can see he's he's like reclining. He's like lying down, leaning on his elbow and he's got a, he's got a white blazer on with a little like a paisley uh, pocket um, handkerchief in the pocket and white pants and uh, does he have like one curl on his, on his forehead <laughs> he's got one curl you got one curl right in the middle <laughs> and, and um, there's like a light behind him so it's kind of it's kind of his hair is kind of glowing on the edges because uh, of the light behind him and uh, and then in the top right there's top left it's written in, in in cursive writing michael jackson underlined and then it says thriller so i don't i don't know if that's his handwriting or someone else's handwriting and um it's interesting too and as i look back on his other five albums he looks so much more grown up here like uh, off the wall which came before this he he looks you know he looks what's, more like a teeny popper, I think. yeah oh yeah He's got i, I like agree a, um, something on right he's got i think he's got a leather jacket on maybe and um you know yeah he looks he looks like a teen but this one he looks like you know he looks grown up and he looks you know i uh it's there's some sex appeal to it uh he's got his shirt you know it's it's very interesting and it's uh he's gazing right like right at the camera and uh it's very iconic it's really cool how how old is he uh, in 1980 when this comes or in 82 when this comes out? Is he like kind of mid 20s by this point? He's yeah, got- I think we were both in the same age. I'll be 60 in October. Okay. Um, so yeah, uh, probably yeah. what would be 23. Yeah, he he was he was uh, 20 he was 24. 24. Yeah. So. Yeah, so he's a, he's a year older than me or something like that. I think. Yeah. Already yeah. six solo albums under his belt at 24. Yeah. <laughs> Not Jeez. to mention all the other stuff yeah. he did as a kid. I was pretty jealous of that record because I was like, man, I can play just as good as Jeff Picaro, man. They should, they should have to <laughs> play something that record. <laughs> I, was talking, I was talking about Ola. I was like, Ola, get me on the gig. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. It was a great record, man. Great, great record. I think the cover I, might be the thing that that feels the most dated. Like I think the songs have held up pretty well, but but this looks like a 1980s uh, glamour shot. You know, you go to the mall and like do your hair, and there's like yeah. uh, everything looks a little fuzzy when the picture comes out, and there's like a <laughs> weird light. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. early airbrushing. That's right. That's right. Yeah. 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 It, it's almost got a it's got a disco vibe to it. A little bit. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. So we've done a track list a couple of different ways um through the life of this podcast. Sometimes we just say all, all the tracks. Um I don't know, there's there's nine tracks here. Maybe it's short enough that we can just 
say them all? Do you think so, Mike? Or yeah, do you, let, or let do you want just... to start by saying or asking Ronnie to pick out a few of his favorites? Or how do you want to tackle this? What, okay, why don't I just list them just so everyone understands how, how stacked this album is? Yeah. <laughs> and and then uh, and then we'll go back through it. So I'll just list them quick and then we'll go back. So uh, uh, side one has Wanna Be Starting Something, Baby Be Mine, The Girl Is Mine. Thriller. And then side two has Beat It. Billie Jean. Human Nature. PYT. And The Lady in My Life. So if you can find a more stacked album than that, you let me know. <laughs> yeah. I mentioned that the, there were seven singles and there was some controversy. Uh, they led, the record label decided to lead at least as far as I know, with The Girl Is Mine, which is the the one that Paul McCartney appears on, um, wanting to, like, win over a wider audience. They went with the, like, yeah. a little slower song with a former Beatle trying to draw in as many people as possible. Um, but you've got these, like, killer up-tempo songs like Wanna Be Starting Something, Beat It, Billie Jean, and Thriller... It just, um, I think critics were really scratching their heads. Like, why would you start with the sort of slower uh, The Girl Is Mine uh, when you've got all these other songs to choose from? And I, I think it was primarily to try and get him to move beyond, uh, you know, primarily a black audience to, to, to be sort of this global megastar. Actually, that's the least favorite song of mine. I mean, I really don't like that song at all. Me neither. And, <laughs> I don't. I see, and he, but it, it's weird because I think basically um, Paul McCartney has some, I, I don't know, does it say anything about his producer uh, stock in this thing? Because he was already a megastar in white and black um, communities, you know? So, so I don't even know... Yeah, I, yeah I, right. can't, I can't. I can't imagine that that would be the reason why they did that. I think it had to be some other type of uh, political reason, or maybe um, McCartney having some producer status or something. Uh. I'm not sure, but I'm curious. Since you guys, I'm in the car. You guys are a computer. Can you Google that 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 uh, CD Wonder tune that Paul McCartney did, Ebony and Ivory, to see if that was around the same time period? Or before, because it's just kind of interesting to me, you know. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't really know why they would do that either. But I, the only thing I could conclude was that it, <laughs> it was, it was part of Paul McCartney's producer contract. Or yeah. Being a, uh, you know, a, 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 
released in the same year. See that? Yeah, so that, <laughs> I kind of had a feeling because that, you know, they were both kind of in that, that tag team trying to, um, you know, mix, mix, um, oh Lord, are you kidding me? Come on, please. Time just pulled me over. Oh no, I no. I know I'm going 65. Ah, <laughs> oh, man. Well, I guess we. I guess we need to let you go then. <laughs> so let's see if we can talk to the police and tell them, "Hey, man, we're talking about Michael Jackson's thriller." <laughs> you know, <laughs> I need you guys as a witness. All right, on the line, please. Sure. Yeah, no problem. That's funny. So they were, they were released in the same year, huh? Yeah. Yeah, and and it was on McCartney's album uh, "Tug of War," so I wonder if they were trying to make him more accessible right yeah that, that could be the thing too how you doing I'm alright we're good I'm Mike Connor sorry with the Maryland State Police this traffic stopped over in Digit 40 I can see your license and registration yeah I'm pulling out the registration now we're on the yeah going to get my sister to take her to St. Louis I'm on the phone call with some guys say hi Ben and Mike we're doing uh, talking about the Michael Jackson thriller record <laughs> uh, they do all the podcast about the top 100 best uh, recordings and things like that. Well, he's got a good one, doesn't he? Who, the Zilla? Oh, yeah, that was crazy. That was yeah. a great record. We were talking yes. about our... Actually, my cousin was the girl who was in that video with him, so they really, like, all excited. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> But, you yeah, know, you're a thriller. You've earned a toasty speed limit tonight. All right. I did. Yeah. Oh man, I thought I was under the limit. I was trying. To, I know I passed somebody, but I saw you guys sitting over there. Yeah. So I thought for sure I'd slow down. I ain't gonna give you a word. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. I'm a professor at college. I got, I got to be polite. Oh no. Oh no, I can't. They don't pay me enough. You know. <laughs> Thank you, sir. All right. All right. That's why I wanted you guys here. Yeah, you bet. <laughs> Glad it went okay. Let me put this other window up. We can keep up. All right. Yeah. Okay. So, what's what? What else? What else? Where, where are we now? Well, we're talking about uh, Ebony and Ivory um, with Stevie Wonder, and that like that was. See, I would call that a McCartney tune only because it was on McCartney's record. Right. Right. Uh, and then I would call The Girl Is Mine a Michael Jackson tune because it was on Michael Jackson's record. So I, but I don't know, you know, who wrote what exactly, but that's how I would do that. But yeah, that's interesting that he did those two in the same year. Although Ebony and Ivory, uh, I think is, uh, <laughs> I take it a little more seriously. I mean, it, it tackles, you know, the, the racial issues there and it's about equality and, the girl is mine to me is just kind of silly. Yeah, it's, yeah right, right. it feels really yeah. forced. I mean, I don't know exactly how many years they are apart, but McCartney's got to have at least twenty years on him. You know, he he's still. Oh yeah, absolutely. He's young twenties and and kind of like a, a you know a young uh, superstar 
sex icon. McCartney's kind of like a washed up old man, even at this time. Um, it feels yeah. it feels weird that they're fighting over the same girl. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> maybe I'm missing something here. I think for sure it was like McCartney, uh, you know, star production type thing. Right, yeah. This is just a written warning. There's no fine. There's no points. Nothing goes on your driving record. Okay. Thank you, sir. All right, there's an information brochure about the state police, and my name's at the bottom. Okay. Thank you, sir. Have any thank you, Scott. No, thank you. Good night, fellas. <laughs> thank, thank you, you. officer. <laughs> thank you. Oh, God, thank you, because I cannot afford another ticket. Wow. Oh, man. Oh, boy. That's crazy, because I saw them sitting over there, and I know, I was like, let me slow down, let me slow down. I just passed somebody, and I was like, okay, I might have been going 80 when I passed, but I saw them, so I said, I better slow down. At least I did, and then boom, there he was. You're south of the Mason-Dixon line, my friend. You got to be safe out there. Exactly. <laughs> I know, and that's why said, I want y'all to stay online. Yeah. Because, uh, <laughs> stuff is getting crazy and crazy instead of better and better. You never know. Uh, you know. Yeah. One day I'll tell you a story about when, um, Shonda was driving back from New York to State College without me in the middle of the night. But we won't go into that right now. But it was hard. Uh, yeah. we'll, table, we'll table it for another time. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe when we do uh, one of the Rolling Stones or something else. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah. Ronnie, do any of these tracks uh, stand out to you? I mean, it's kind of hard to top that your cousin is in the thriller video, but any from a song from a song perspective. I think I think I was really in love with Beat It. I was really in love with uh, um, uh, the other one with just some letters. What's that? What? Oh, what PYT, pretty pretty young thing. Pretty young thing, yeah, yeah, that was killer. I liked all the upbeat ones, you know. I mean, uh, but it was just a great record. It was like it was like a month ago. We were sitting around the dinner table. We have two kids. They're um, nine and ten, and they love music. They love music too. And and so we were talking about Michael Jackson. And my wife, like, we do this thing. So she goes, uh, Mike favorite michael jackson song go and i was like oh come on just pick one <laughs> and she says so we so we start throwing out all these songs all these great songs uh and talking about them and the kids are just listening and she says what about a, a pretty young thing that's a good song and i said i don't think i know that one and she was like come on you don't know pyt so she uh so she puts it on and then it got to the hook and i was like Oh, I know this. I know this song. I want to love you. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, uh, man, it's great. How old, how old are your uh, children? Um, my daughter, Lily, just turned 11 a couple days ago. And my son, Asher, is uh, about nine and a half. And they're big music fans. Uh, they both love to sing. My daughter plays ukulele really well, and she's picked it up so fast. And also, she um, she's into musical theater. She's performed in Toronto for for, uh, for Annie and for Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. And I think that's something that wow. she she'll pursue. So we're so proud of her. And um, uh, she has a ton of raw talent, and as she grows, we hope we can, you know, get her some more um, 
education and that and, and she's eager to learn and she picks it up so fast so and my son um, my son is is I think he doesn't really like being in the spotlight you know being on stage so but he does have he's got a good voice and um, I think you know we'll see where, what direction he wants to take but uh, yeah we love music in our house Nice. It's nice. Hey, Ben, your baby is, what, a couple years old now? Yeah, so <laughs> if you left four years ago, we may have had, like, a, a, we would have had a five-year-old and a baby, and now we've got a nine-year-old, a five-year-old, and a two-year-old. So, yeah, life, oh, yeah, okay. life okay. is crazy. But um, but it's really good too. We're I'm on sabbatical this summer, and we're about to take a month and a half road trip, and and so we're we're trying to figure out how to do that and keep three young kids sane at the same time. And I I think music has got to be part of that yeah. solution. You know, I'm about to be a great grandfather before the sixty. Whoa! <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. Did I just did, did I hear that right? Did I hear that right? You said right. <laughs> I'm about to be a great grandfather before 60. My 18-year-old granddaughter is pregnant. They got five kids. I got four kids and five grandchildren. Wow. Wow. Amazing. <laughs> so by the time Thriller came out, I was already, I already had a, uh, you know, let me see. She would have been, she was already like four years old, my oldest daughter. Okay. Okay. okay yeah. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. I, I think there's yeah, something uh, there's something my kids are teaching me as I've listened to this album about its mass appeal. Like even the two year old will like bop his head along with this album. Um, yeah, you know, he he likes his favorite songs are like Baby Shark and the songs from his kids shows, but he can get okay. right into this stuff. Um, you know, without even knowing who it is or what it is, he, he he's right yeah. into it. Um, I think that's got to be a piece of the the sort of global success of this album. I think um, absolutely. It was like I said. Also, it was very upbeat, and then you had all of those really nice synthesizer lines in between the melodic lines that Michael was singing. So that yeah. made a big difference. And then you have the mix of like rock guitar on 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 several of the tunes. You know, which, yep. Which, yeah. So it just got that kind of got that guttural thing you know which everybody can relate to how's the drummer feel you know? about this album ronnie you you know your primary instrument is the drums I, I know you play all kinds of things but how does a drummer feel about uh thriller oh i mean i love it it was great groups you know i mean the, i mean the thing with me is that in in my career i've had all types of opportunities to to do things i i'm i'm more of an expressive drummer as you know so you know, holding down those types of gigs, I've done several of them, but after a while, I kind of get, um, I kind of have to move on to creativity. <laughs> but that record has some great grooves, so, you know, it's, it's one that people can, you know, people still cover all of that music now, and the drum, and the drum, the drum beats are pretty, um, a couple of them are kind of intricate, but not so much, but they're, 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 they're funky enough that they keep you, they keep you enthralled you know when yeah. you're playing the song it's not all uh, electronically produced right like there's an actual drum kit on a couple of the songs yeah, yeah and that's what was great about that time period that, you know all of the, there was no there wasn't that many that, there was basically anything sequenced on that thing it's all keyboard players and 
and uh, musicians playing all the parts, so it was great. Interesting. I think in terms of young people, really, I mean, even really, really young people gravitate to it is because, you know, you have those, you have those unique, like, really cool synthesizers and lines in between his vocal lines, like, on a pretty young thing, you had that thing, almost yeah. like a flute line, but it was done with the synthesizer. And on every song, there's something like that going on. So it, it, it was very, it was very well done in terms of the, uh, the, the sounds of the instruments being able to uh, have their own melodic statements and step out and, and, and grab people, you know? Do you think that's uh, because of Quincy or do you think that's because of Michael? Or is it a combination? Absolutely, Quincy. I mean, Michael too. Michael was an incredible musician, but Quincy, you know, he know he knows how to put those sounds together. He he's been doing it so long, you know. And and, and if there's a, if there's something, you know, you do a rhythm track and there may be something missing from it, you know, he would know exactly what to put in there. You know, the guy's a master arranger of real life instruments. Yeah. When you got all of the sizes and toys like that, he 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 was he was working his mastery, uh, you know, even more. Yeah. That's one of the overall comments I had about this album is that it is so well produced. It is yeah. one of the best produced albums I've ever heard, and, and and I guess what I what I mean when I say that it is it is constructed, and the songs are constructed in such an intelligent way. There's nothing missing. Everything is there that needs to be there, and absolutely in, in Quincy Jones. Um, and I mean, Thriller alone, Thriller the song is an absolute masterpiece. It yeah. is. It is. It is brilliant construction of music it's it's a composition it's not just a song yeah it's a composition it's it's incredible and i mean that's saying something because that's within an album of other really 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 good songs the whole album um is so well put together yeah and you know it also wasn't overproduced no no it was not he right there you know a lot of times people they get in there they just it's too much. Yes. So, so much unnecessary stuff. So, yeah. There's two songs on here that I tried to listen to more, and that's the two that weren't singles. Because I was like, okay, two, two didn't make the cut. Because I mean, when you've done seven, why don't you just do all of them as singles? But there's two that didn't quite fit. And I listened to the Lady in My Life a lot, which is the last track, and it is like so much funk and it's like it's a funk tune it starts with almost like yeah. jazz guitar but then i was like oh, yeah. this, is, this is a funk song like this is really cool yeah absolutely and you know there's a cover done by a great jazz guitarist um stanley jordan okay um uh, stanley jordan is one of those guitar players that um he started out playing this guitar on a stand you know he didn't hold it and he played like a keyboard like did you ever see his movie august rush yeah. yeah. Okay, so that technique. Okay, uh, yeah. Kind of really, kind of really kicked that up to another level. So there's a wonderful rendition of that song that Stanley does, and it's and it's arranged by a great pianist named Onaje Allen Gump. You guys should listen to that because it's um it's really killer. Man, I love I love all the all the. 
the trails that this album takes us like there's just everything we talk about leads us to something else because there's just so much substance to it oh this is so exciting <laughs> the, the thing that i think jumped out at me the most through this listen is that um it's got more substance in the lyrics than a, just a poppy album i think i had dismissed it as just kind of like pop radio ear candy but there's some depth to a couple of the tracks at least that um yeah, kind of get lost when you when you just feel them for the sound of the music. Uh, right. Uh, Billy Jean would be one. Um, but I, my understanding is that "Beat It" is actually sort of a, a song pushing back on some of the street violence that that was happening around at the time. And you know, yeah, absolutely. He, he was more he was more prophetic, I guess, in his lyric writing than than I'd ever given him credit for. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a really cool video to beat it too, correct? Oh yeah. Um, yeah. I, and I love the I love the choreography, and it's you know it's all it's all or mostly it's mostly guys dancing, which is really cool. Um, yeah. yeah. They didn't they didn't need like you yeah, know. Rather than fighting, fighting. Yeah, dance fight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the one thing for me, and I know we've already talked about it, but I just can't place the girl is mine on this album. Like, it's just, it's the one thing that kind of doesn't, you know, one of these things is not like the other. I don't know. It didn't fit. It's just, I know it was, it was probably Paul McCartney pushing this. this. Hey, guys, let me give him this record. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be big. I want a piece of it. Yeah, and I guess you don't say no to a Beatle, right? I guess not. No, you don't. It, it's also probably the one that has held up the least well. I mean, I think in this sort of uh, Me Too uh, movement, you know, ownership, you know, that girl is mine just doesn't sound PC anymore. Um, right. Especially when it's an old guy uh, kind of arguing about it, too. Like, uh, yeah, just all, all of it, I think, just feels a little bit off. And, and the sort of talking back and forth near the end of the song where they're kind of yeah. joking with each other, that feels like another era as well. Something I don't think you'd hear in a pop song today. Yeah, that's true. That, no. But you know, they, that, that, I, I mean, you know, who knows what that thing was about. I, I mean, I'm sure it was, because Paul McCartney and Michael Jackson were friends. They were, yep. they used to kind of hang out at different festivals. So, you know, could have been anything, but it kind of just, it's kind of just weird because you know, I knew it, when I was talking about that Ebony and Ivory, I was like, did that come out the same year? So it's kind of like a Paul McCartney, like, uh, you know, let me let me show that I'm friends with these, these great black artists. <laughs> right, right, right. Yep. <laughs> but, you know, it was pretty cool. But yeah. it, it just didn't really fit on the record, I didn't think. That's great. Um, it, it, yeah, it just doesn't fit. Yeah. Right, right. Any final comments on the album um, before we get to sort of some concluding thoughts that either of you have? Um, my only final comment is that it was it's a great record. Uh, we still love it. Sound and I listen to some of those tracks. You know, we still like seeing. You know, I still like introducing that video to my grandkids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, absolutely. I've got kind of a sad personal tie, not necessarily about the album, but about Michael Jackson. I was uh, going to seminary out in California um, the year that he died, and I, I was getting ice cream with some friends, like literally uh, a couple blocks from the hospital where he was taken to and pronounced dead at. And uh, there's this, there this weird moment. I can still remember we're sitting on the sidewalk and we see... Uh, you know, sirens rushing by with an ambulance, and then, you know, within an hour, all the TV media in the world kind of descends on this, on this block. And I was like, what is going on? Like, some someone famous just had something happen, and then sure enough, uh, you know, the unthinkable happens, and Michael Jackson is dead. Um, so, so it's not necessarily about Thriller, but, uh, but a weird tie to the king of pop that's uh, circumstantially fell into my life at a at that time wow um, yeah that's crazy that is uh... just strange yeah um so we we've been um changing this up a little bit the last few weeks we used to ask does this sound dated or does it sound relevant and we realized that it's possible for both of those things to be true. So we're now asking first, does this album sound relevant or is it, has it lost its relevancy? Is it irrelevant? So why don't we start with that question? Um, Ronnie, what do you think? Is this album still relevant? It's relevant in the, in, 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 in some aspects. I mean, you know, technology and, and, and the video stuff has gone so far now where you can see that it's kind of dated. Um, the record itself, I don't know, I think it's still relevant. I mean, like I said, when I when I introduce stuff to, you know, uh, my grandchildren or, or younger kids, because I, I, you know, we do that. I, I go back and show people different videos that yeah. kind of can relate to different things that are going on now. They seem to be able to, um, you know, relate to it and get a message for, from it. I, I never have had any young people say, oh, man, you know, that's old stuff. I don't, I don't like it, you know. Um, so I would say that just Michael Jackson's, also his persona and his his uh, entertainmentship, if that's a word, <laughs> uh, is still very, uh, very, very um, profound, you know. I mean, he, 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 if, if you look at him performing that, those songs, it's 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 pretty relevant. Just just because he's just such a great entertainer. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I think so too. I think the the songs are very relevant, and I'm not now or have I ever really been in the club scene, but I think that if you put any of those hits on in the club beat it or thriller or wannabe starts out you put them on in the club today i think people, people will, they will still cheer and dance you know even if it was a remix or even just the original they just threw it on in the middle of something current people are still going to go nuts um and i think that's you can't do that with everything from 1982 um so i think that's i think some of the lyrics some of the slang might be a little outdated, but uh, but the songs yeah. are the, they still work in I think in any kind of club or 
context where people are listening to current music, you can throw this on. I think um, the other aspect of all this that makes it still feel relevant is that uh, I think there's still something about the production and the, the, the sound that was created that, that people are still trying to emulate even, even in um, current artists today. Uh, I don't have any great examples right offhand, but uh, there's there's still people trying to capture some of the attitude and the upbeat feeling of these songs on Thriller um, in popular music right now. And I think for that reason alone, it, it definitely seems relevant. We've we've all said at different times that there are aspects of this that do sound dated, um, and I think maybe it would be sort of song by song where we would really. Uh, have to pick and choose whether a song was dated or felt more current. Um, I mentioned the talking bit on The Girl Is Mine. Yeah. Uh, I think even the talking bit at the end of Thriller, uh, you know, I understand why it goes with the video, but it feels like a clunky kind of add-on to have that there. Uh, The sort of cackling at the end definitely feels like another era. Um, But but yeah, generally speaking, I think it's still. You're right, Mike. It would still play well. Um, oh yeah. And I and unlike uh, a number of other artists that we've gone through that, uh, you know, have a lot of longevity, but the younger generation's not listening to. My my hunch is that if I took Thriller up to campus tomorrow and played a few tracks to current college students, they'd know right away who it was and oh uh, yeah and yeah so in that way i guess it's still current as well you know one other thing i, I don't we didn't really talk about that much is that um rod tabberton he was involved in some of the songwriting on this record too and he was um like one of the lead singers and writers of this band called heatwave are you guys familiar with heatwave no all that stuff. They were a great group, and he had some great writing. And I think that's why a lot of this music still holds up too. Um, you know, uh, because of the great writers that were also involved. You also had James Ingram, um, who is just an incredible vocalist. Um, uh, I think he wrote one of the songs on here too. I can't remember which one, but uh, those guys were incredible vocalists and and uh, composers and lyricists. So, so he had the whole production with him. You know, Michael in, in himself was was great in all of those fields, but to have those other like you know like I would kind of call them both geniuses in terms of. Uh, lyric writing and singing and things like that to have them also involved in this project, you know. But yeah, I think that helps with still holding up too. I love that insight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, um, James Ingram co-wrote on PYT with Quincy Jones. Oh, that was okay. That, okay, that was the one. Yeah. yeah. I know something. He was James Ingram was like always around Michael and Quincy. More so Quincy, cause man, on a bunch of those Quincy records where James is the lead singer. Oh my God, this guy, his voice is so beautiful. He's such a great, great um, 
great musician. His whole family were musicians, you know. So. Wow. They come from another, another one of those musical families. Right. The only thing that sounds dated to me is some of the instrumentation and the, the technology and some of the types of sounds. Like if you listen to a lot of the, like the drum sounds on um, Want to Be Starting Something, like you can pick out sort of exactly what place in time this comes from. And yeah, exactly. some, yeah. some of the synth, synth sounds and the bass sounds. Um, yeah. And, and that, I'm not saying that that makes it worse. It just places it very specifically in a, in an a, era yeah exactly and yeah. and you know that's not necessarily a bad thing but it does kind of date it but the songs are so good and so popular it doesn't even matter true yeah that's right i agree with you yeah. well the last question and kind of the, the at the heart of this podcast is was this position on rolling stone's list appropriate was this position sound logic Rolling Stone has this as their 20th best album of all time, uh, which, I don't know, all that we've said about it makes me feel, man, why is it so low? <laughs> um, yeah. I, I don't know. What do you think, Ronnie? Um, Rolling Stone, we should say right up front, is is fairly biased towards classic rock, and this is not classic rock. Um, so maybe that's why it ends up at 20, but, but what are your thoughts? Yeah, probably I would agree with you, but I don't know all of the other songs. I need to look at that list, actually. I mean, all the other records. I need yeah. to look at that list of what they are to get kind of familiar with it. Sure. Then I could probably <clears throat> make a better, uh, you know, judgment of why, why they might, why they may have put it down there. Yeah. We've already done five Beatles albums and three Bob Dylan albums, so that gives you an idea. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, all right, all right, yeah, all right. Um, so, there's a little a little something else sprinkled in here and there. Um, uh, Marvin Gaye's What's Going On is on the list, and uh, Miles Davis' Kind of Blue uh, comes in ahead of this. Um, there are some other sort of classic rockers like Bruce Springsteen and the Rolling Stones. The Clash, um, okay, but yeah, it's, it's mostly rock focused. I guess folk rock too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to look at it, but I, I mean, Miles should definitely be on that list. Um, Marvin definitely because that that record. Wow, I mean, I mean, if you talk about that record, you want to talk about some genius for yeah. all of the the harmony stuff that Marvin used to do, and you know he orchestrating and, and being a drummer and a keyboard player, he was just phenomenal, you know, so mm. uh, anyway, that's a whole other story. <laughs> and, um, Miles, that record, that, that one is still one of the highest selling jazz records, so that needs to be on every list. Um, yeah. Anywhere, you know, but yeah, I don't know, I guess I have to see the other stuff. Of course, I like um, you know, uh, Bob Dylan, he's a uh, Master storyteller, but you know, he's not going to go anywhere. I mean, according to the top of the yeah. top profile. I don't understand this placement at number twenty. Uh, it's the best-selling album of all time by by yeah. three three times more than the next closest, and it's by one of the biggest, most prolific artists ever to make music. Um, yeah. I don't understand why this isn't, you know, top five. 
it it makes no sense to me uh it's we've discussed some really good albums so far but this one is so monumental it was so successful is so popular had so many singles it checks all the boxes it makes no sense that you would say that i would say at least a dozen of the albums we've already discussed why you wouldn't say that this was greater than them so i'm going to say no it this is not this was not a good decision should be way higher i would put it at least top five if not higher yeah it even had eddie van halen come on (laughs) yeah man like for real (laughs) and 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 a a, a beetle (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know who knows well even uh despite the uh the car phone and getting pulled over and uh some dropped coverage in there this has been an absolute pleasure ronnie thank you so much for taking the time to be with us oh man thank you guys for thinking about me and, and including me don't hesitate just call anytime I, I i might have insights to a whole bunch of stuff you might yeah. not even think i've been in this industry so long we'll have to have you go through with a highlighter and pick the ones that you think that uh that you have the best stories to tell Okay, all right. Yeah, we got to do that. Mike, it was really nice hearing your Canadian accent, especially when you said, I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and and, uh, Ben always says that he says project and I say project. Oh, yeah. (laughs) There's some other things, but uh, yeah, it takes some time to go through them all. Uh, Ronnie, it was it was such a pleasure to meet you and talk to you, and uh, you're gonna regret uh, inviting me to call you whenever I want. <laughs> oh, that's okay, man. Talk about music and life, I'm good. It doesn't matter. Well, I'll be back to you if I can't pick up right away. Oh, that's awesome. It was it was such a joy. I'm so glad we got to meet, even just on the phone. Yeah. Oh yeah, thank you, man. And I'll. Um, I'm sure my cousin Ola will call me at some point. I'm gonna tell her that I'm gonna tell her to reach out to you guys. Oh, that'd be awesome. Well, man, I, I would yeah. lose my I would lose my mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, be okay. safe there on the road. Thank you. All right. Well, we want to again thank our special guest Ronnie, and thank you for listening to this episode. And coming up next, we're gonna have our re-ranking of the top 20 or or what we mean is uh albums number 11 to 20 we've decided that every 10 albums as we did after the first 10 we're gonna stop and and uh take a an episode to talk about how we would have reshuffled them and what we think and uh, after that uh we've got something a little different happening uh, do you want to talk about that, Ben? Yeah, I think we're going to take a few weeks off uh, here this summer, give, give ourselves a little bit of a break. Uh, I'm I'm jumping on the road here with my family for this uh, road trip, and so just recording is going to be a challenge, but probably editing will be an even bigger one. Um, so we're not sure when we'll get to it, but we are looking forward to eventually recording album number 21 on Rolling Stone's Top 500 album list. It's the second compilation album on this list. It's called The Great 28, uh, 28 of the Best Songs by Chuck Berry. So um, that'll be a good one. Uh, we, we don't necessarily have a, a, a date in mind of when that'll come out, but uh, keep your ears and eyes open for it um, when it is posted. Subscribe, too, uh, so that you don't miss an episode if it does come out. 
yeah, and stay tuned to our our social feeds, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We'll try and post updates there and let let you know where we're at and what we're doing and maybe a timeline. We hope to come back in September with some some new episodes for you and maybe we'll do a, a bonus episode here and there. Perfect. Well, as always, Ben, great talking to you and can't wait to talk to you next time. You bet, buddy. If you like what you hear, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and write a review. Send us a message at our Facebook page, on Instagram, or through our SoundLogic Podcast Twitter feed. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed that classic episode of ours. Tune in next time for the next album on the new 2020 Rolling Stone list.